The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We're glad you're with us today. I'm Reverend Dan Beckett here with special guest co-host Reverend Michelle Jellinch. Today we'll discuss ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your recovery journey. And if you're listening live, you're welcome to join the discussion with your comments and questions. You can call us right now at 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. We'd love to hear from you. Facebook users, you can also message us during the show or anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the send message button right below the banner. And just as with phone calls, your anonymity is always respected. The light of a new day. That's our show today. It takes integrity to walk the path of addiction recovery. We must move forward with principled honesty, which may not be easy given our often not so pretty pasts. But if we're willing to show up and get real, we can do it and grow in the spirit along the way. Today, we want to illuminate a path through the shadow into the light of a new day, sharing our own experience, strength, and hope along the way. We'll begin by sharing our own experiences of hiding in the shadows. Then we'll move into the solution of the willingness to change. And after the break, we'll share exactly how the willingness to change helped us move from hiding in the shadows to stepping into the light of new possibilities. So, Dan, can you tell us about your experience of hiding in the shadows? You know, what comes to mind first when I think about that is uh, I'm a card-carrying introvert from the get-go, from day one, as far as I can tell. And so, for me, um, it's it's very common, uh, most you know, more so in the past than today. And certainly I had, uh, as a younger person, been very comfortable in that kind of observer role, you know, sort of paying attention to what other people are doing and what's happening and who is who in this dynamic, um, you know, what's going on and not really being very willing to jump into it myself. And so that kind of naturally introverted role of watching what's going on without getting involved with what's going on sort of prepared me well, if you will, 
for this um, malady that we're talking about, this um, <laughs> this way of being that I have been and so many of us have been about kind of hiding in the shadows, both, you know, from other people, from ourselves, from the world, you know, in lots of ways. But being an introvert, I feel like um, made that fairly uh, natural, if you will, for me. Yeah. Well, you know that I'm not an introvert. <laughs> I'm like the poster girl for extroversion. <laughs> and yet I can still relate. So, you know, I can remember um, having that feeling of that I was trying to create what I saw in those beer commercials. You know, when all the friends are sitting in the bar together and they're all smiling and they're happy and having so much fun. Like that's what I was chasing. I wanted that feeling. And so even though I am very extroverted, there's still a way in which I didn't feel like I was a part of things. And I was still seeking to be part of that group to be, somehow connected to other people. Um, I, I felt like, well, we didn't have um, FOMO or fear of missing out back then, but I had that feeling, we didn't have that term. I had that feeling that I was somehow missing out on something and I was like chasing that experience all the time. Yeah, in the beer commercials, I'll add, they're also carefree, good looking and apparently yes, rich as course. far as I could tell. Leading charmed lives, yes. Who would who would not want to be having that smiling good time with all those great friends? Um, another thing for me, what it means to live in the shadows or what that was like is, and again, more so in the past, not so much today, but in the past, I was generally not very comfortable um, being in the spotlight, uh, being seen, so to speak, being known. Uh, like I was sharing a minute ago, as a as a natural kind of observer, somebody who was highly motivated to understand how things work, um, I, I did not like being the one in the center of things. I was far more comfortable uh, on the outside, looking in, sort of watching what others were doing. So in the beer commercial, I was not the one of them at the table. I was the one on the other side of the room, just sort of taking it all in. <laughs> you know, seeing what's going on, seeing what's happening. But in, live in the shadows for me means really not being comfortable being seen or being known. Yeah. Well, you know, because I was so focused on chasing that experience that I saw in the beer commercial, another way that I was living in the shadows is that I was so focused on activities that had to do with my addiction that I find, well, now looking back, I realized that I was not partaking in a lot of other activities that I should have been doing. Like, for example, when I was in graduate school, you know, I always wanted to go to happy hour, to the bar, to hang out and drink, you know, and so I missed out. A lot of my classmates were doing other activities, you know, more productive things. They were going bike riding or they were going out on a boat on the bay or something. And I was never joining in those activities because I only wanted to do things that involved drinking. <laughs> and so... I know it sounds so silly now, but so I, looking back, I can see the ways that I missed out and the ways that, um, I was not focused on forming the friendships, which, you know, lifelong lasting friendships that a lot of, a lot of my classmates have, um, 
with each other still today because I was so focused on drinking. So it kept me living in the shadows because it sucked up so much of my time and energy and focus that I didn't even really, I was trying so hard to have that experience of fitting in that I didn't even realize that I was keeping myself from joining in those activities. Yes. That makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> what other activities? <laughs> You're going to go bike riding in a group as an introvert. <laughs> like, why would anyone do that? Yes, I get that too. You can't drink and ride a bike at the same <laughs> time. Come on now. <laughs> One way that it meant to me, uh, living in the shadows, what that was like is that uh, because I was so oriented towards just paying attention and observing what other people were doing, not to joining in. Um, I was not very adept at expressing how I felt. And so that kind of um, compounded my um, existence, if you will, over to the side or against the wall in life, not really joining in. Um, kind of like you're saying, not not getting together with friends in general and going and doing things. I mean, I did here and there, but not in the ways that I think many others do and not in the ways that you're describing as well. And that what that meant, I think, looking back, is that I didn't have a lot of opportunity or willingness, honestly, to, to be sharing about myself, how I felt, you know, what, what, what I was like. Um, and so I, I did not develop those skills early on. So I was not very good at it. And, yeah. and that, that, yet another reason to stay out of it. I wasn't good at it. I don't like it. I'm uncomfortable, et cetera. You can see how that leads to a, a place of isolation for sure. Yes, absolutely. You know, another way, you know, looking back that I can see that I was living in shadow was really, um, oh gosh, it's hard to describe, but living with, um, living with a lot of shame and a lot of negative self-talk and a lot of bad feelings about myself, um, it's so complex to even begin to look at like where that all came from, but that those feelings were what I didn't want to feel. Right. And so that was why I drank in the first place. I mean, I didn't know that, but I didn't want to feel those feelings. And so, um, oh, it's just hard to describe, you know? So I was, I was, I was living in the shadow of myself, like not being in touch with myself, not being connected to myself. Um, because I had so much shame and I had all this negative self-talk and I wanted to get away from that feeling. Yes. It's almost as if we, you know, bury those pieces of ourselves that we're uncomfortable with and then later try to drown them in alcohol. I think yes. that's what I, along the way. Yeah. Uh, another thing that to me, that phrase live in the shadows, what would that was like? And this is later. So I've been sharing about you know, myself, especially as a younger person, but later not, not letting people know what I was doing. And, and, uh, yeah. any, any, uh, fellow drunks out there can quickly guess that at least one part of that was not letting on, uh, how much I was drinking right. or even that I was drinking. And that of course, very common for many of us, uh, especially later in our careers when we're becoming more professional, if you will, or adept 
at drinking, drinking more and more, not letting other people know because the amount I was drinking would have raised eyebrows for sure um, to normal people or, as I like to refer to them, people who don't know how to drink. According to yes, me. I certainly relate to that, you know, um, the hiding, hiding it, not wanting people to know how much I was drinking. Um, I can remember uh, planning, you know, like a weekly phone call to my mom, but I wanted to make sure that I hadn't had too much to drink before I called my mom, because was she going to be able to tell over the phone how much I'd been drinking? I mean, when I think about the amount of time and energy spent just keeping up my addiction, you know, it was isolating because it kept me, you know, that was energy diverted from doing other more productive, more healthy social things, you know? And so just, it's just that feeling of living in the shadow of, um, not being out and open and being authentically who I was. Yeah, I wonder sometimes if the the legend of vampires is not somehow based <laughs> on those of us who are uh, staying away from everyone and and doing uh, our secret things behind closed doors uh, related <laughs> to addiction. And I, I don't know if there's anything there or not. But yeah, it kind of feels like that. You know, I'm going to go in here and close the curtains and take the phone off the hook back when that was a thing and uh, just generally hide <laughs> from people. <laughs> Uh, Another way it showed up for me, or the result of this, I could say, the result of these other things, of of really not being comfortable participating, and then later not letting people know what I was doing, let alone how I was doing, is that I had no real community, you know, no, no ability to form what I now know as a heart connection with others. It just, it just wasn't there. And so that's one way that I was living in the shadows is isolated, kind of, you know, spiritually, emotionally, if you will. And of course, like so many of us, completely unaware, completely unaware of all this. I mean, how could we know what it's like to live otherwise uh, if if I've only lived this one way? But let's switch gears now. And now that we know about this challenge of hiding in the shadows and its various forms, what is the solution? Well, in unity, we affirm that all of life is governed by spiritual principles. Yes, in fact, Unity's third principle states that we are co-creators with God, actively creating our world through thoughts held in mind. What this means is that we have the power to change our lives by changing ourselves, by changing our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions. And it all begins with our willingness to change. And through our willingness to change, we can utilize the third principle to begin to change our lives from the inside out. And as we change our inner thoughts, we see that our feelings and actions also begin to change and our lives begin to change on the outside. And that's what we want to focus on today. So what do we mean by changing our lives from the inside out? How can we become willing to change our thoughts feelings and actions. Michelle, when you think about the the willingness to change, what comes to mind for you? Well, the first thing that occurs to me is that, you know, in early recovery, everything is new and we don't know what's happening. You know, <laughs> we're learning all these new things. And so 
what I had was, I don't know where I got this from, but it was really important, was somewhat of a willingness to just not know, not not entirely understand how it was all going to work out, to be able to be in the mystery. Um, and the way, part of the way that I was able to do that was because I was in the process of the second step of coming to believe in a power greater than myself and having faith in that power. So by having faith in a higher power, I didn't have to know exactly how it was all going to pan out. I didn't have to know exactly how I was going to do this, how I was going to change, how these things were going to change my life. There was a certain willingness to be in the unknown. You know, as I considered that very same question, what what does the willingness to change look like for me? That was the first thing that came to mind. You know, I might call it um, suspending judgment. Because mm -hmm. for me, as a person to whom it was very important to understand what was going on and to understand how things worked, you know, I was very uh, in my mind in that way, very idea-oriented, very comfortable with ideas and understanding and thoughts and all of that. Um, willingness to change meant that I needed to find a way to suspend that at least a little bit, you mm -hmm. know, to not to not have that be the only tool in my toolbox, you know, knowing how something worked, because that honestly, that was my MO uh, my entire life, I think up to that point was to understand how things worked. And so knowing was very important. And I placed a high premium on knowing. And the so the willingness to change, if I'm going to be different somehow, then I'm, I'm going to need to kind of back off a little bit on my uh, you know, my old habits of mind. And the, and yes. one of the very first ways was backing off a little bit on the, you know, the, the strong and constant need to know and to understand, you know, if I could just take a breath and, and not be so quick to try and answer a question, so to speak, um, that start, you know, that, that made a little crack that over time grew into a doorway. Yes. Yeah, so I have this image of like, um, you know, when we're in our active addiction, like, like our clenched fists holding on, you know, and so it's that beginning of letting go, letting go that grip that we had on, on everything, basically that need to control that need to, you know, like you said, the need to know. And, you know, I, you know, some of our slogans, we talk about how corny they are, but how helpful they can be. And people were, would always tell me more will be revealed. I love that. More will be revealed. I don't have to know it all right now. And then I also heard people say that God operates on a need to know basis. You know, so what we need to know is going to be revealed when we need to know it. And we can trust that process. And so, you know, when you hear those things over and over and you see other people walking that path, you start to let go of those clenched fists just a little bit. And that's the beginning of faith and trust and trusting in the unknown, not having to have it all figured out and just letting things unfold, which is, you know, for this alcoholic was not the way I operated. You know? <laughs> I was a control freak. I wanted to have everything controlled and figured out and um, probably a big part of why I drank. So this idea that I wasn't in control of the universe and didn't need to be in control of the universe, that was a huge um, turning point for me.
Yeah, especially for me, that second part didn't need to because <laughs> I was pretty convinced that I needed to. I may have conceded that I wasn't, but man, I aspired to. So another way that the willingness to change uh, showed up for me was, um, you know, after I was willing to back off a little bit on being the one who knows things, that allowed me to be just more generally open to others' experiences, other people's experiences. And I'm thinking now particularly about the recovery community um, and the meetings that I was a part of and being willing to simply take in what someone else was saying just and leave it just at that. Here is what someone is sharing. I don't need to decide whether I believe it or not. I don't need to decide if it's true or not. I don't need to do anything other than to be here and be a part of the group and to just be open to receiving whatever it is they're sharing. You know, I don't yeah. have to... I don't have to do anything with it or do anything about it. I can just simply be witness to it. And so that's the sort of, for me, the next piece, the next part of the willingness to change was to uh, relax and then be open to what others had to say. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was just thinking about, it's such a common experience that control, that need to be in control um, and difficulty with letting go. It's such a common thing for people in recovery. And I was thinking it's probably a response. It's a response to trauma. You know, so many of us have experienced trauma of varying sorts. And um, that experience, whether it's in early childhood or whatever, uh, creates a need to try to create control, to try to create order out of a life that feels like it has no order, feels like it has no control. And I think that's why that's such a common experience for us. Um, I, I can totally concur with what you said. You know, a huge part of recovery for me, at least, has been watching others walk through life and watching how they did it and watching how their lives changed and how things worked for them. And mostly that occurred in meetings, listening to people sharing and sharing about, you know, how their lives were changing. I mean, that's to me, that's pretty much how the program works is that other people, you know, that's why they say, you know, why do we have to keep coming back after so many years or whatever? And it's like, well, when you came in, there was somebody sitting there with five years, with 10 years, with 20 years that was sharing their experience. And you heard that, you know, and. And, and yeah, those people sharing their experiences, what impacted me. And so I'm grateful to those people that kept coming back because you, you know, when you're thinking about making these major changes in your life, you have to be able to see someone doing it and see that it's working for them because it was all new for me. You know, what is this sobriety thing? And so I had to see people, role models, mentors, sponsors, sponsors, even just, you know, other group members that were living these principles in their lives so that I could see how it worked. That gave me the willingness to try to do it myself. Yeah, I, I, I feel like in general, you know, the, the way that the willingness to change showed up for me after some time was just more generally, I became okay living what we might call living in the question. Mm -hmm. Right. Which is another way of saying that, well, uh, just presented with a situation, I don't need to jump to 
conclusions about it, which I used to always do uh, because that's the only way I felt comfortable is if I felt like I know I knew what was going on. And so I learned slowly over time, you know, and, and in a sense, part of it against my will, so to speak. I mean, I did show up at the meetings and I was a willing participant in the recovery program, but um, I don't know that I really liked the idea of not knowing what was going on. And <laughs> maybe in a way I thought, well, if I hang around with these people, I will figure out how this works and I will figure out what's going on again. Um, you know, if you're a hammer, everything's a nail, right? And and I was a hammer. And so everything I looked at was a matter of understanding and figuring out. But I slowly over time became okay just living in the question and not worrying about the conclusion, uh, whatever that might be. Yeah, I have to stress, though, that as, you know, when we're new in recovery, as we're learning to let go of that need to control, um, it's happening at the same time that we are evolving a relationship with a higher power. We're not just letting go, you know, this lifelong need to control things, just letting go into nothing. We're letting go into the support and love and guidance of our higher power, of the God of our understanding. And those two things go together. So as my relationship with God, that I like to use that word, um, increased and grew and strengthened, I was able to let go more. Um, I, I, you know, I didn't have blind faith. I had faith that was born of experience, the experience that I could trust the process, that I could trust God, that I could trust my higher power to guide and support me. And that's what enabled me to let go more and to be willing to change. Yes, you know, I'm reminded now, and I may have even mentioned this previously, that uh, this month in Unity, the theme, the, the theme saying is, I make room for the unknown and the unknowable in my life. And I really resonate with that, especially as a person on a recovery path, because what that tells me is I, I purposely make it so that I can be okay not knowing things, you know, the unknown. Yeah. And even taking it further, that I can, uh, if I'm willing, I can acknowledge that there are things that are genuinely unknowable, yeah. which would have made me super uncomfortable in the past. And so right. the phrase that's used, I make room for, I like that. It's an allowing kind of thing. It's not a forcing. No one's forcing me. I'm not forcing it. I am making room for these things, it, which is a, feels like a kind of invitation. You know, yeah. I'm opening up space to allow these things to become part of my life experience. I like to think of it as uh, having a cat. I've always had at least one cat that you can't chase the cat around the house like a dog. You sit and wait, <laughs> and all of a sudden the cat, seemingly out of nowhere, shows up in your lap. But <laughs> let great. us hold that thought of the cat coming to us because it's time for a short break. And when we come back, we'd love to hear from you as we continue the conversation. The phone number to dial is 816-251-3555. Please stay with us. All are welcome. 
We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. Glad you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Dan Beckett here with Reverend Michelle Jellinch. And we'll resume our discussion in a moment, but we want to remind you that the phone lines are open. So if you have a question or a comment to share, please give us a call at 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. So prior to the break, we were discussing our experiences of living in the shadow, so to speak, of um, not joining in activities, not feeling a part of of being isolated in various ways. And then we talked about the willingness to change and what that looked like for us. So Dan, now that we know that the challenge is living in the shadows and the solution is the willingness to change, how exactly does this willingness to change lead us to step into the light of new possibilities? As I consider this, I realize, and I've heard this recently, and and it makes sense to me just based on personal experience, that um, the opposite of addiction in a way is connection, right? Community and and real heart connection, not just being around other people, but being genuinely uh, connected at the at a you know spiritual emotional level. And so when I think about how the willingness to change kind of let me out of or shine the path, if you will, out of the shadows into new possibilities. It all has to do with connection. And the first one that comes to mind is connection through community. You know, particularly, I mean, the recovery community. Right. I, I will, I, I'm a huge fan of and very grateful for the recovery communities that I've had the privilege to be a part of. I can't say enough about what a wonderful kind of learning playground it was. You shared uh, before the break about how much of what we pick up and learn along the way we hear at the gathering of, uh, you know, a recovery group. We hear other people sharing, well, what, what were they like before? And then what happened? And what are they like now? And getting to know people one little bit at a time. You know, we we talk about, Uh, It's important to go to a meeting, but you should also attend the meeting before the meeting and the meeting (laughs) after the meeting. And uh, because I I smoked most of my life, I don't anymore. But, you know, the meeting before the meeting and the meeting after, to me, that meant just standing outside with the rest of the reprobates, you know, smoking uh, a cigarette and just talking about whatever, you know, just sort of being a part of the group. No agenda, nothing that needs to happen. So. The willingness to change led me into the light by showing me how to become connected in a community, a recovery community. Yes, I had that as my first point, too, that, the you know, it started with the willingness to be part of, of the 12-step recovery um, group, you know, to be willing to uh, go to meetings, to be willing to make new friends and open myself up to people that I otherwise might not hang out with. Because in recovery groups, we find people from all walks of life and everything in between. And it may not be folks that we would normally spend our time with or that we had 
you know, normally spent our time with before. So there had to be a willingness there to just be part of the group and um, learn the new, you know, learn the culture of the group and how we did things. And like you mentioned, um, being willing to start to take part in some of the more social aspects of the group and being willing to, um, being willing to be committed to the group. You know, the first time I was asked to have a commitment at the group, which, you know, I went to the meeting every week anyway, but as soon as I had like a coffee commitment, then it meant I had to be there every week. And that was a big commitment for me. So being willing to start to take on those um, commitments to the group, the service positions and things like that. Yeah, another way that the willingness to change uh, led me to new possibilities. And again, this is all about connection. But what I'm thinking of now is a connection with an individual person. You know, what I think of as a trusted advisor. In in recovery circles, uh, we might call that person a sponsor. But the, the role in general is somebody who has been on the path longer than I have, who's maybe several steps further down the path, if you will, um, who can help me along the way. You know, somebody with some experience helping somebody who's new. And so that was an opportunity to become connected with an individual person, not not just the group or in addition to the group, to become connected with an individual um, and learn new ways of being that way. You know, learn, learn to become comfortable um, forming what hopefully... Uh, is a heart connection in that environment. So connection through a trusted advisor is the second thing that came to mind as I thought about, you know, how did willingness opens doors for me? That's how I think of it, but I got to walk through them. And when I do walk through them, these are some of the ways that um, my life has changed because I've been willing to walk through them. Yes. Well, another part of the willingness to change was um, a willingness to begin to look at myself. I mean, 12-step recovery is a program of self-examination. So there had to be a willingness there to start to um, delve into the shadow and start to bring light onto those things. And that's an ongoing process. I mean, that is a process that never ends. It's, it's sort of something we've committed to for the rest of our lives. But there had to be a real willingness to um, begin to get honest with myself and begin to see things clearly. And then of course, the next step is the willingness to share that with others, whether it's sharing, sharing that with my sponsor or sharing it at a group or sharing it, um, you know, when I was the speaker at a meeting or whatever, but that willingness to start to get real, start to get real um, and authentic and begin to share my truth, what was true for me and share that with other people openly and honestly. Another kind of connection that I remember unfolding and sort of related to the community, but I realized that I can be part, I mean, I can show up at recovery group functions and meetings, and I can be, quote, a part of the community without really getting deep into the shared experience part of it. And so to me, it was, uh, you know, a matter of taking one one little step at a time, if you will, and moving from, you know, being part, physically part of the group and maybe receiving and listening more to being, to being willing to share and 
you know, get get engaged in the group in in a give and take way, not just sort of a one way observing right. kind of way. And so being connected to the group or even the recovery circle, I would call it, because I knew many people who were not necessarily in in the same home group that I was in, but because I went to uh, various meetings here or there or, you know, went to Waffle House after the meeting sometimes, I met other people. And I think of that all as just the recovery circle that to me is a little broader than just my home group. And so through my recovery circle and very much what you're saying, you know, being willing to participate and be seen and to share uh, the truth of my experience um, that was a way that willingness uh, kind of opened the door and let me walk from hiding into a whole new way of being. Yeah. You know, I shared before the break about um, my realization that I had spent so much of my time and energy um, pursuing activities that only involved alcohol that I had neglected many other activities and neglected developing myself in other ways. And so um, in early recovery, a whole I found that a whole new world opened up for me because, um, well, I like to have fun. I don't know about you, but I like to have fun. And if I wasn't going to be able to drink anymore, I needed to find new and innovative ways to have fun. And when all of that energy that had used to be spent, you know, drinking um, was freed up, I had all this new time and energy to pursue new things. So there was a willingness on my part to try new things. I remember learning to rollerblade, you know, for the first time and um, starting and just, you know, of course, doing it like an addict, you know, going crazy and doing it constantly because that's how I do things. But, um, you know, it's like I never would have tried something like that in the past, you know, and then I had a friend that got me into riding bikes and um, those were things I would not have tried in the past, but I had this um, willingness that I was changing. I was opening up to these new possibilities. And so it was a willingness to try new things. And there were lots of new things, not just the ones I mentioned, but, you know, small things. Um, but that's how I changed. I grew, I expanded um, my repertoire of um, activities and hobbies and things that I was willing to be involved in grew because I no longer um, was only selecting activities based on their proximity to the bar, you know. <laughs> right. I can totally identify with that. That criteria just makes a whole lot of sense to me. Um, so another new possibility, and again, this is all for me, it's all been through connection um, th that I was led to, you know, beginning with the willingness to change, uh, led me to the new possibility of connection via service to others. And again, I'm still in the recovery community here in my mind, in the, in the broader recovery circle, perhaps. Um, and that can be as easy and certainly started with um, doing things like uh, making coffee or in, in the couple of groups that I was involved in, in early in recovery in the first several years. Um, you know, there was a constant invitation to to be the one who would chair the meeting. Yeah. And I realized after I'd hung around for a while that lots and lots of people did that. Yeah. And they told me, you know, everything's written here on this on this paper and these binders. You don't have to, you know, figure any of this out. You just have to literally follow 
the guidelines that are right here. So it's really easy. And I was encouraged to do so. And I did. And so by forging uh, connections through stepping up in service to others uh, in the recovery circles, that opened up new possibilities for me. Yeah, I remember very similar things, you know, and and being willing to take a service commitment. I think the reason it feels kind of daunting is because we're exposing ourselves. You know, we're 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 not just sitting in the periphery of the group. We're we're smack dab in the center of it, and so there there has to be that willingness to be part of the group and to expose ourselves. And it's vulnerable. It's a vulnerable place. Um, we have to be willing to um, begin to make ourselves vulnerable for this recovery thing to work. And that's one of the ways we do it. I remember the first time I was asked to be the speaker at a meeting. Gosh, I mean, I was terrified, you know, but recovery groups are so forgiving, you know, and everyone tells you you're like the best speaker ever that they (laughs) ever heard. (laughs) And so that's very encouraging. I also remember um, I used to start out my story talking about how I was such a high bottom and, you know, I probably didn't really belong here. I hadn't really done any of the things that you all had done. But by the time I finished my story, people were coming up to me afterwards saying, you know, you're really not that high of a bottom as you think. (laughs) So there was a willingness to tell on myself, you know, a willingness to um, share, share what was true for me and um, that vulnerability of opening myself up to the responses of others. But um, I know when I did that, I immediately felt so much more connected to the group. Oh my gosh. You know, even just making coffee or leading a meeting or, or any of those things, um, as daunting as it can feel in early recovery, I know it immediately made me feel more a part of the group. And isn't that what I really wanted all along was to feel a part of, and it became that like shared investment that I wasn't just an observer here. I was part of this thing. I was part of, you know, what made this thing work. And so that was very fulfilling to me and gave me the willingness to do it more. I mean, we're results oriented people, right? We need to see results. We need to see that something has a payback or we ain't going to do it. And so, you know, when, when we join in and we have success with it and we feel that connection with people, that's results. And then it encourages us to want to do it more and to be willing to do it more. I I think that was true for me as well. And, um, another new possibility that was opened up through, um, being willing to change is that, uh, in the recovery, on the recovery path, I'll say in the, in the community, there was provided sort of a framework for living. We call it a design for living that was, that had some structure to it, which, uh, you know, I didn't think of myself as particularly unstructured, um, but, regardless of how I, you know, how I related to things like structure early on, I was actually fairly unstructured. I really appreciated a, uh, a clear uh, framework or design for living that's represented. I would say represented by the steps, but really it's mm-hmm. represented by what happened when I was willing to work the steps. So it's mm-hmm. not the steps themselves. It's the result of being willing to go through that process, you know, that 
that it's a learning, it's part healing, it's part connecting uh, process of, of working the steps along with the trusted advisor and again in the context of a group. Um, so the new possibility was, hey, here is a prescription, if you will. It has 12 sections, 12 pieces, uh, a way to look at life and to go about uh, undertaking life. Try this. And then just see what happens. Yeah. And so I really appreciated that. What to me was a very, no, I had never encountered anything like that before. Like, mm-hmm. here, do this, do it this way, and things will get much better. Mm-hmm. Okay, I will. I'll try it. I'm yeah. willing to. Well, yeah. So there's that willingness to follow the suggestions that are being given to us to at least try them out. And, you know, if you think about it, Unity really operates the same way. You know, when I came into Unity, I remember hearing, Um, don't believe this stuff because we're telling it to you. Believe it because you've tried it out in your own life and it has given results. And that Charles Fillmore was all about the results, man. He was like, you know, this stuff has to work for us. That's why, you know, we were called practical Christianity for so long because it had to be practical. These things had to actually pan out, but there has to be the willingness to try them. You know, we're talking about the willingness to change and nothing changes if we don't change. So we have to be willing to try new ways of being, new ways of doing, new ways of living, new ways of operating. We have to be willing to try those things. And then luckily they do bear results pretty quickly. Um, I can remember, you know, some things say the same and some things change, but I can remember feeling things changing pretty rapidly. And um, that just encouraged me more. I needed to see those results. Yeah, I recall that experience as well, especially at first for me, it seemed like a lot of things were changing quickly. But then after some time passed, I realized that things were still shifting, but it felt like the shifting was happening somehow at a deeper level. And so it wasn't as apparent, maybe on the surface or from the outside, but it was profoundly powerful uh, from the inside, you know, Mm kind of like the way that there might be uh, big waves on the shore somewhere because of some motion deep, deep in the ocean, hundreds of miles away, that kind of deal. Another new possibility that comes to mind, and I've been talking up to this point about everything related to the recovery community, but all of that applies uh, for me um, in the world at large. It's almost as if I I gathered this... um, way of being or did this learning in the context of recovery community, but then was able to turn around and live the very same way uh, with the world in general. And so I could become part of and connect with community that was not an addiction recovery community. For me, uh, it was specifically a church community, a unity church, and I'm, I'm will forever be grateful uh, to the unity principles because they gave me in a sense a way a way to uh, practice and apply the very same uh, principles that I encounter in addiction recovery um, to life in general. Now I had found unity before I found recovery and so I I had some ideas going in but they didn't it didn't matter that much. You know, pre-recovery, 
the spiritual principles and stuff, you know, it's not, it's not as if my life was in danger. Well, guess what? There came a time when it was as if my life was in danger. In fact, my life was in danger. And these things that were cool ideas became, um, necessities to live, literally to live. And so I lived by them and I'm grateful that I was able to find connections to communities outside of recovery because of what I learned from inside recovery. I really didn't participate in my church community. I was I was an attendee, uh-huh. you know, a, a congregant and an attendee. But then after recovery, I really would became willing to become a part of the church group. And the church was not a recovery group. It was right. a spiritual group. Right. Yeah, so that makes me think of probably the crux of this whole thing for me, the most important willingness that I I had to that led to the changes was the willingness to open up to a relationship with a higher power. Um, you know, I was someone that didn't believe in that, that had left the um, religion of my childhood and was not interested in any of that kind of thing until I got into recovery and was told that that was, you know, kind of a big part of the program. And, and so, and I think I shared, maybe it was last week about, you know, that I, my sponsor told me if I didn't have a higher power yet, I could borrow hers. And, and I did that. And, um, but there was, there had to be, you know, we're talking about shadows and light and, so it's like living life with no God is like living in the shadows, right? But just cracking that door open, the tiny little bit, that light of God of spirit just comes shining through the crack. And it was just that little willingness to believe, to to open myself up to a relationship with a higher power that really completely changed my whole life. And um, so early in recovery, I did find unity and um Again, the willingness to step into a church. I hadn't been in a church in years and years and years. And I'm so incredibly grateful that I did that. And I'm so grateful for the friends that invited me to the church. But again, that was a whole new thing for me to attend church on Sundays. Are you kidding me? Sundays were for recovering from hangovers. What are you talking about? And my church met at 10 o'clock in the morning. That's an ungodly hour on Sundays. But um, that was willingness, you know, to get up and go to church on Sundays and how it changed my life just, but it all began with the willingness, the willingness to try something different, to try believing in a higher power, to try trusting that things would unfold as they should, to try trusting that, um, a relationship with a higher power could change my life. It all began with willingness Absolutely. And I'm, I'm sitting here thinking of another way that the things that I learned specifically in the recovery community, I was able uh, to translate through spiritual principle, I suppose, into the world at large. And one of those was, you know, being, being able to be connected through shared experience. Now, that was relatively easy in the recovery community because we literally had the same harrowing you know, near death for many um, uh, common experience. But what I found was that because I learned 
connection, through spiritual principles, through a recovery community, I was able to take that out into the world at large. So both in a church community, you know, right now I pastor Unity of Augusta, Georgia, but also just, you know, anywhere that I happen to be, I could be at the store and be able to feel connected to the people that were around me. But uh, let's shift gears once again and move into action. Because unity's fifth principle states, it's not enough to know these truths, we must live them. That means we must each take action in order to grow and recover. So here's something you can do to move from living in the shadows to stepping into the light and new possibilities using your own willingness to change. Think of a way that you might be living still in the shadows today. Maybe you find yourself reluctant to be a part of a group at work. Or perhaps it's hard for you to be honest with your family about how you really feel. Or maybe you see that you are not really letting others get to know you in your interpersonal relationships. What's important is to pick one thing, something simple to focus on right here in today's exercise. Because you can take what we do here today into your life this week and return to it anytime you choose in order to find a moment of peace. So let's use the example of being reluctant to join in with others in a group. So we start by using a statement of power or what we what we refer to in unity as a denial, to deny any power to living in the shadows. So you could say something like, ways I have acted in the past do not dictate my future. Repeat it a few times in your head or aloud and say it with conviction. Ways I have acted in the past do not dictate my future. And follow that up immediately with a bold positive affirmation of a new experience. You could say, for example, I'm open to new possibilities and willing to change through the power of the spirit within. Then take a few quiet moments to relax and take it easy. There's no need to struggle. Give thanks for your new experience in the world and move on with your day. And take some time this week to affirm your new experience. Once again, ways I have acted in the past do not dictate my future. I'm open to new possibilities, and I'm willing to change through the power of the Spirit within me. Well, we thank you for listening, and we've come to the end of our time together here today. We hope that you found something here to help you on your own recovery path. Thank you, Reverend Michelle, for our discussion, and thank you to all who are listening to the podcast via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We bless you wherever you are on your recovery journey. We'll see you again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. Until then, have a wonder-filled week. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. 
On the Dropping In podcast, hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify.